welcome to episode 19 of the Glasgow Motorway Archive podcast, a podcast all about the history and construction of the city's motorways and expressways. Welcome to 2020, I'm John Hassel. And as always, I'm Stuart Beard. It's back to our normal podcast format this month after that live disaster last month. Uh, I'm delighted to see we do have a special guest this month. Uh, it's our resident expert here, Christopher Hunt. Uh, as part of his degree course, Chris researched the Greater Glasgow Transportation Study and he specifically looked um, at what traffic flows would have looked like had the entire network of proposed roads been built. Uh, you will be absolutely fascinated by his findings, so stick with us for that. Uh, don't worry, we will refresh you on exactly what the GGTS was as well. Yeah. Also this month, I'll be talking to you about my trip to Texas and how the roads and transportations there compares with Glasgow and elsewhere in the UK. I will be answering your questions as always. And finally, we'll be talking about some upcoming Glasgow Motorway Archive features and some of the other activities that we're currently involved in. So, John, hello, welcome. Hello. Did you have a good uh, Christmas break and New Year break? It was actually quite a quiet one for me. I'm not big on New Year, but, you know, it's it's... It's that time of year, but it's out of the way now. Back to normal. Yeah, it was fairly similar for me too, although mm-hmm. I, I was left with the social media duties this year. <laughs> uh, all those brand new photos that I put out, very popular. They are, they've uh, yeah. done really well. Two, one or two new photos every single day. People seem to appreciate that. I hope you enjoyed it. So that was good to see. Chris, mm-hmm. welcome. Hello. Thanks nice for to, having me. Yeah, thanks for coming along. We should say that Chris actually uh, met us at one of the talks that John and I did last yeah. autumn. Uh, this is one of the, the good things about doing and We get to meet people who are experts, specialists in certain areas. Mm-hmm. And, and meeting Chris and, and finding out about some of the stuff he had written about was fantastic. Yeah. So I know you guys are all going to really enjoy listening to what he tells us. And John, we're finally going to talk about your trip to Texas as well. Yeah, I've been looking forward to that because I've been back a little while now. And, and I know last time we, we had a kind of different conversation, it was a whole live thing. So yeah, yeah I've got a lot to share. Okay. And hopefully it's going to be interesting and it'll tie in well what Chris has got to share. Yeah, and hopefully Chris won't run away and he'll be quite happy answering some of our questions. We'll, we'll give him a good grilling as, we, as oh, we've yes, been saying. That'll absolutely. be good fun. Like so yeah, yeah, let's get on with this then. Let's get straight into to it. Okay, John, tell us all about your trip to Texas. So I went to Texas back in, uh, well, it was it was really for Thanksgiving to see family over yep. there. Yep. But I had an ulterior motive. Mm-hmm. I knew that it was Houston in Texas I went to. Uh, is the land of the American highways. It's got so many of them. I, look, I looked into it, and I, I've always been fascinated because it actually contains uh, a section of motorway, or highway, as they call it, which is actually the widest in the world. In the world? In the world. I mean, you think plantation's big. Yeah. Plantation's a country lane. I mean, there is... No, no that's <laughs> is, cheek. No, I'm, just, I'm just saying this off the bat. There are roads, you know, that, there that have more carriageways and we have lanes, you know, so that, that get, puts it into perspective. So, um... So, I, right, so, okay, so hang on then. Hang on a minute. Right, tell okay. me it's the widest in the world. Mm-hmm. What's wide? How wide? We're talking about running lanes. Okay. How many does it have? 24. Oh. How many does Plantation have? Uh, 17. Okay, so it's... It's pretty wide. Yeah, it's, it's wide, pretty wide. Yeah, but wider. And an M60, M61 Eccles? Yeah, that's 18. And it's 18 lanes, so it beats mm-hmm. beats Plantation by one lane. Okay, so yeah. it is a pretty wide stretch of road we're talking about it here. It does. Okay. It does. I mean, it's, it's, so it's very, very difficult to count, actually, how many lanes when you're on the ground because you can't really see from one side to the other. So I'll talk a little bit about how their roads are different and what the, you know, 
the system is that mm-hmm. makes up Houston. Houston is a massive area. So it's part of the kind of metropolitan area there, which includes places like Sugarland and uh, Katy, which is a place I stayed in. All right. Um, it's the fifth most populous kind of conurbation area in in the United States. Right. It's just under 7 million people live there. Okay, so you so can imagine okay. the system that they require to move people about. <clears throat> now, the difference is when going to America, it is the land of the car. It really is. Um, and At the um, expense of everything else. Well, it's funny because I've been to a lot of European cities that have fantastic public transport systems, you know, and we, we do in some of our cities here in the UK as well. Public transport, apart from the very centre of town, at downtown, is non-existent, and I do mean that quite literally. Mm-hmm. They have uh, the metro system, uh, which does include like a limited tram system in the centre of town, which eventually becomes buses. Okay. But they, it only goes out so far. Right. And what I did learn that people there, I mean, people do drive everywhere there. They don't walk to the shops. Yeah, they drive. They drive. Um, and there's a few reasons for this that I'll, I'll get into. Uh, but people there actually found out, you know, uh, from family members I was staying with, that people actually protested against expanding the <laughs> the metro system, oh uh, aka public transport, oh uh, further out because they were worried it might... <clears throat> attract undesirables to their gated communities <laughs> you know it's just which you know it, it's oh, just it's right. just a strange thing because we're always campaigning for better public transport yeah it's certainly a very different way of uh, it, i found it jarring yeah. i really really did but there's a few reasons for this america is the land of the individual yeah you know they they, they do see that as you know owning a car you make your own journey door to door that's what you do mm-hmm. you know the other thing is the climate now, I went there at quite a cool time of year, but the temperatures there can go into the high 30s, low right. 40s, and it's very high humidity. Okay. It's a complete aircon culture. So yeah. you walking anywhere, active travel... It's, 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 just, it's too uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, I did actually see cyclists there. Okay. But I'll tell you something that I didn't see there, pedestrians. Right, okay. And that's got a lot to do with, you know, it, it really isn't overly pedestrian friendly. I mean, you can turn right at a red light there, even though pedestrians are crossing the road yes something you can't do here yeah in the center of houston and downtown they have a whole city under the ground so all the skyscrapers are connected by these kind of subterranean walkways which have restaurants and bars and there are all these kind of eateries in them so you don't see really see people walking about and, and those know? will be air conditioned oh yes yeah. of course yeah. completely climate controlled so you have your air conditioned house your air conditioned car your air conditioned office yeah and through that so I, i'd like to now get into because it is the motorway podcast so yes. i want to talk about motorways okay um it's a system of rings and spokes is how it sounds works. familiar sounds familiar to anyone who's obviously Glasgow and looking at London systems that they proposed as well. Um, so the interstate system and route systems, an interesting thing I found out about interstates is that even numbers go from east to west. So like I-10, interstate 10, is an east to west. And odd numbers go north to south. Oh, no, that's quite quite logical. Yeah, quite sensible. Uh, yep. so, so it's got it's got this system. That they have. So what 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 it has is all the these these motorways. I ten is the big one. That's the one that's very wide. It's known as the Katy Freeway. It goes all the way from Houston actually to L A. So it goes through kind of San Antonio and all these places over across the states until eventually it gets to Los Angeles. And that's the section at Monument City where it meets the Beltway, where it goes up to twenty four lanes. All right. You know? Okay. Now the interstates. They have something over there that we don't really have here, and they're called frontage roads. So they have uh, maybe three or four lanes on either direction 
next to the road mm-hmm. that have kind of intersections along it for getting to businesses and things like okay. that. So, so these frontage now to me here in a UK context, a frontage mm-hmm. road is a road that has properties, I might have shops and things like that yeah. along it. Do yeah. these, these roads are they similar do. to that? Yes, they do. What you see, and especially if you look at aerial photo- photography of Houston, is um, over there the, it is a very definition of what you call sprawl. So you see these corridors of developments that go on for miles along where these interstates are. Yeah. You know, of all kinds of things, from, from restaurants to car dealerships, offices that all go along. And these are served by these frontage roads. And it's all completely and 100% car dependent. Yeah. <laughs> because there is no public tra- Everybody drives. So you go along. And these frontage roads kind of deal with that junction hopping traffic. You know, people making those shorter journeys. Um, so... The, the thing that actually I was surprised at, you know, while I, I considered that a lot of these motorways urban that yeah. I was on, yeah. they didn't have junctions that were tremendously close together. All right, okay. Okay. Um, you know, be, there's a reason again for this. They have space. They have so much space in Texas, and it's all very flat. So they have these, um, you know, they, and, and the frontage roads act as those distributors that go between them. So at the very kind of inner part of downtown the motorways all meet so you have the i-10 which is your east and west you have your i-45 that's the one that goes up to dallas and you have the i-69 as well which is a kind of a northeast one that crisscrosses across and these are all contained within the i-610 which is what they call the loop now this is actually the oldest freeway they've got there i believe and that was built in the 50s 1959 okay so this is the the, the inner ring so to speak. Right. Of it. Mm-hmm. Moving further out, you have something called the the <clears throat> Route Eight or I Eight, but it, everyone everyone gives the freeways nick nicknames there. Okay. So this is the Beltway. Right. This was actually built in the eighties. So a lot of their road construction there actually happened a lot later, mm-hmm. and then they have an outer road like the M twenty five of it, which is known as the I ninety nine, which is the Grand Parkway. It's not actually fully completed yet. So has so they got these rings and mm. these spokes. That's how it works. So. What was the need for these additional rings and spokes that came later then in the 80s and later than that? Is it is it that population increased? Yep. Is it that it was sprawl? Um, were there just too many cars in the road? Was the existing road network so jammed that they just built a new one to bypass it and then yep. bypass it again? What, what was the primary reason for these additional routes? To, uh, Houston is very much an immigrant city. Right, okay. huge amounts of immigration there. It's also quite rich because of its oil industries yeah. that it has there. So there was a whole sectors of the city which are basically imagine like a grange mouth but on steroids right it's like that in area so there's a huge amount of industry right in the area but yes it's entirely car dependent now what they've done there in terms of widening with these roads is is they have done just that but they also then build parallel roads so there's a, a bunch of roads here that aren't interstate so to speak but they're tolled roads so they've built these tolled roads that actually run parallel with them or on other alignments going into the city so you pay more to go on these roads so while they don't have a huge provision for public transport they do have things like tolled lanes mm-hmm. tolled roads and high occupancy vehicle lanes all right okay so they have this this in place so it's not all just it's not just a free for all no it is not a free for all at all you pay a lot and it's all done through what they call easy tag which is what we call dart tagging yeah yeah so you don't have to stop and pay at a toll booth yeah yeah so it doesn't hold the traffic up exactly so on i-10 for example uh the big one that's that you used to head into downtown from the west where i was um in the you get like six lanes which are the free ones and then there's an extra two lanes that you have for tolling, and then an extra couple of lanes again that you will get for high occupancy vehicle. 
So that's if, you know, two people are in the car, you know? Yeah. That's that's the idea of it. And then you've got these frontage roads that that run alongside it. Okay, now I know one of the one of the things you're very big on is junction alignment and, oh, I was and hoping and you'd get to that. Layouts <laughs> and, and things like that. Yeah. Uh, tell us about some of the typical junction types that you saw there and if there are any comparisons UK wise. Yeah. Um wherever the uh the major highways and motorways um interchange with each other it is traditionally done through stack interchanges okay um now we do have stack interchanges in the in the uk we have three of them all right okay. uh, one at the m4 and m5 that's uh, Armondsbury. oh yes and we have a couple on the m25 right um i believe between the m23 and uh the the m4 Right. So what these are, they're also called a Maltese cross. So these things, <laughs> that the examples I've seen are on huge scales here, and they're almost like um, they're monuments that you can see for, for miles away. And you, when you're up on the highest level of these interchanges, because some of them are on six levels, a six-level grade-separated junction, um, that you can see right into downtown and across the city. So they're great is, for getting a good vantage they point. They are. Yeah. Unfortunately, I can stop on any of them. I didn't have my trusty beacons and high-vis with me. I couldn't just rock up on the shoulder no. and check. But that's generally what they go into. For I mean, Some of the, the biggest that I've seen here was the, the one between the I-99 and the I-10, um, which is, I believe, six levels that one has, and it's quite recently completed. Right. So these aren't things from the 70s. They're mm. still building these things. <laughs> I mean, that's sure, I sent you some photos, right? And you, you've seen the spans that yeah. they go up, yeah. that they put these things up, and they're, they're almost quite modular looking. Yes, the concrete the, structures. Yeah. I, I'm not going to... I mean, I've not been an engineer over there. I don't know what consideration has gone into the, the impact on the skyline and the environment of these things, right? But they are massive, when we have built things similar to that in the UK, we have done them within the kind of existing topography. So, for example, you put in something like an Armandsbury interchange where you've already got a dip or a depression. You don't want things like that sticking out. No. You know, we tend to go for more two-leveled interchanges well, here in the UK. Just thinking about that, remember what John Cullen told you yeah. when he was designing the Glasgow system? Yeah. And he specifically wanted to avoid that American That's idea right. and keep everything as two levels as possible. As possible. Because it fits yeah. in better with, with the landscape. And certainly in an urban environment, you'd expect that. It is weird. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're in an urban environment and there's this towering thing. It's like, It looks a bit like something you'd see in Alton Towers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's what it's like. Yeah. All right. You know? Okay. So I'm going to ask you some questions mm-hmm. um, about it. Um, I should just bring you next time. Yeah, you know, well, that, you know if you had been half a decent mate, you would have taken me anyway. You know, <laughs> Glasgow no. Motorway Archive on tour. Yeah, well, hey, there's an That's idea. What we could do. You heard yeah. it here first. <laughs> I don't know who would want to come and see us, but you never know. Uh, in fact, but actually, this podcast is listened to quite widely in America. Well, this is it. There's probably loads of Texans or Houstonians maybe listening maybe. to this one, going, "Oh, he's so wrong." You know, you but know, there, you know, well, there we go. That's but there's no sense. <laughs> some, some, uh, some. I emails. was only there as a tourist. I've done yeah. some driving, by the way. All right, okay. I actually drove. And what the great thing is, because I'm used to, in in Glasgow, mm-hmm. you, you sometimes enter on the right-hand side and leave on the right-hand side. Yeah, yeah. You know? So you were doing that I anyway. was always a total natural over yeah. there, you know? I was like, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a townhead veteran, boys, so it's okay. <laughs> One of the things I did notice from your photographs, there was mm. two things that caught my eye, and there's two things that I love very much. Can you, think, can you name what they are? Two things that were on the network things over there? Things that you love Yeah, two much. things that were in your photos. Um, I, oh, high-mass lighting. High-mass lighting, yes. yes. And what was the other thing? They were gantries. Sign gantries. Right. And they were absolutely stunning. Right. The, the high-mass lights in particular, 
um, were really, really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, very similar to what we've got here in Glasgow. I mean, I know that the high mass light is an American, an American idea anyway, mm-hmm. um, which is a. Uh, it's interesting to see it all over the world now. Uh, yep. Sign gantries wise, they're actually quite similar to Glasgow. The, the, yeah, very, very sync. You know, sort of. They're not, not electronic. No, no. Of course, they're just advanced directional signs. They mm-hmm. don't have any interactive uh, no. matrix signage or anything like they're that. They're not Redixes or anything. No, like that, no. no uh, which was a uh, is interesting. But yeah, I I thought it was a uh, it was interesting. There was a lot of similarities from an engineering point of view mm-hmm. with the Glasgow urban system and, yeah. and even Birmingham to an extent. You know, yeah. where you've got elevated structures and you've got structures flying over and then you've got high mass lights and gantries and things mm. like that. It's uh, just you know what I get a feel for it. It, it, it was it's far more tighter here. We don't we have the problem. I've said this before is trying to retrofit modern roads to ancient yeah. cities, historic centres. Historic yeah. cities. You do not have that problem there. When I was in Houston, I just felt like nothing was older than thirty years old. Yeah. You know, it all it all felt. You know, somebody's done this with a ruler a wee while yeah, ago. And, absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's it's it all. It, but but that's kind of what makes it work. You know, mm-hmm. in an ideal world, you can plan the whole transport system like that. Right. Okay. So some questions. Go then. go for it. Sorry. Right. So so my first question would be, mm-hmm. and it's probably a simple one for you to answer. Mm-hmm. Does it work? Yes. Outside of peak, it does. Right. Okay. You see, outside of peak, mm. that that implies that it doesn't work during peak. It does snarl up. Um, and the the thing is here, this is where. I think it makes its money um, is this is where everybody will get on the toll lanes and take the other toll roads but even these get jammed up I mean I was talking to my brother who lives there and he takes the toll road into work every morning right. and he said even they've only built this two lanes wide you know this needs to be four or five you know <laughs> um, it's so, so yeah it does it, the whole the whole thing snarls up and things but then again this system actually isn't complete entirely they are still widening there they are still building these big junctions and they are still completing their outer ring so in summary mm. okay. it does it does still snarl up but you remember there is no alternative to driving well only because they've not introduced it no because they've not introduced it yeah, yeah. not because there's just no, no, it doesn't because they just don't have it's a policy an decision. So people, do you know what? It's not even that. It's cultural. Yeah, I found with it. I okay, it right. Cultural. So that leads me on to the next question I was going to ask you then, which was you said it's car dependent, and, and mm. you know most most American cities are car dependent. Okay, um, is that good or bad? The John Hassel opinion. Do you want the John Hassel opinion? Well, I'm a driver. I prefer the car generally. Yeah, because you know I I feel the car takes me door to door. I spend a heck of a lot of money on it every month, and then I kind of begrudge having to get a season ticket for something else afterwards. Yeah. So I, to me, yes, it does suit absolutely. But that's my personal opinion. But everyone drives or does these things. So to me, I I, I like the system compared to. You know the feeling I get now is I'm 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 kind of uh, I should feel slightly guilty for using a car now. Right. Okay. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's I, the thing. Yeah. You know, it's a, you know it's still climate emergency. You know, so. Well, I mean, we have to be in mind mm-hmm. that you, you have, I have to choose my words carefully here. <laughs> America are mm-hmm. they they rather have their heads in the sand when it comes to these issues. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's only really in the last what twenty years or so that their vehicles have even really become fuel efficient. I'm not sure about that. So they're I mean, even still not fuel. I mean, <laughs> we're so, only getting kind of right, so, 15 so, miles to the gallon, you yeah, know, kind so, of thing. So. Uh, that can't go on forever. Mm. That can't go fuel on forever. Fuel is a lot cheaper. 
you know? Yeah. But it doesn't seem to be a huge amount of restriction on it. I no. mean, even with parking and things like that, everywhere that any development comes in uh, or anything that they're doing, you know, there's a huge amount of parking provision provided yeah. with these things. Now, I, I'm, I'm sure maybe, you know, when we get into the conversation with you, Chris, you might be able to tell us a little bit more about this thing. But probably now, when you do developments, you probably want to restrict the amount of available parking. Yeah, certainly. It's, it's right. you know, nowadays... You, it's almost the opposite of yep. what the Americanism style yeah. of, of, of transport planning is. You're, you're looking at how do you get people out of your cars, how do you get them onto public transport, how mm-hmm. do you get them walking, cycling, but certainly from what you've you've mentioned so far, it sounds like that's almost an impossible task mm-hmm. in yeah. the US, yeah. yeah, where you have all this infrastructure that, that how, how do you reverse that now, how do you input a, these these systems that we mm-hmm. have over here. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just it, and this is why I'm saying it's not even policy wide. It, it's, cultural it's cultural to them. Why why would I walk? Why would I get in a bus? You well, know, why, you know, I want to get into my air conditioned SUV and travel. Yeah. You know, look, there's something to be said for it. it it's nice, especially in that climate, you well, know, kind of thing. But you, you've got to ask: Is it sustainable? America seem to think thinks it's sustainable because it's got so much space. Yeah, you, you can't just you keep, know you can't just keep building forever. You know, you kind of just keep but, building forever. It's it's a funny place. It's a funny landscape because you go there and it's uh, very flat and it seems to go on forever. Uh, and it's it's just the way it yeah. is. You know, it'll be interesting to see if in twenty years' time they finally mm. cottoned on to the fact that mass transportation is, is far yeah. more. I, I've always seen it about about thing. That uh, Chris, yeah. have you have, have you been to America? Have you ever seen anything like this? I have. I've been to Florida mm-hmm. a couple of times, uh, and I've I've driven like yourself. I've driven over there, and uh, yeah, definitely the Glasgow. Uh, Right, right on, right off system seems to help. Seems to help. Uh, definitely. <laughs> is what I'm um, saying about Houston, does that kind of corroborate with your experience? Yeah, I, I just found that everything was so big. Hmm. You know, you're, you're, we picked up a higher car and it was what I thought was massive and then you hmm. get out onto the interstate and you're the smallest car in the yeah. world. I noticed, I noticed <laughs> yeah. that as well. I found it quite an easy place to drive, if I'm honest with you. It is, it's, it's kind of built for that. You know? Everything's automatic, isn't it? Automatic, big lanes cars everything you know it's all too easy that's what it is it's all too easy until that's you realize that, that's that you, you need to exit and cut across 24 lanes to get off <laughs> yeah well that that's another thing you do need to plan in advance of course they don't have the the system that we have here if you, like, you keep left and left less overtaking yeah. you know any lane is kind of so you, you change your culture of driving because what you want to do is be predictable mm-hmm. so that if someone's in a hurry they just get by you. They get round you. If you you don't change lanes a lot, I learned that. See, we don't have enough lanes here for that to, to no, work. We don't have that luxury. I mean, on no. a two lane motorway, that's just no. that's just not going to work. Um, all right, okay. So anyway, hmm. that, that kind of leads me on to this. And my next question I'd sort of jotted sure. down was: Would it work here? Do you know what? Might, some people probably won't like me me saying this. To be honest with you, but no, it wouldn't. And I would also like to make the point. And I'll, well, I'll tell you what I'll say first. I'll tell you why it won't work here. We don't have the space for it. Yeah. It also isn't, as now, especially in the climate we're getting into, we're not of that culture. No. You know, we're trying, as you say, a lot of people are trying to move away from private. From know, dependence private, on the car. Depend, depend, absolutely. There's a place for the car, but not necessarily a dependence this, on the car. Th- this is it. We, we, have a lot, we have a lot of ground to cover to, yeah. try, to try and reverse that. I've often said to you, we're, all of us are trapped by car finance. You know, yeah. A lot <laughs> of the time, meaning... Yeah. 
oh, I'm paying £300 a month for a car, so I'm not going to have that sitting in the drive two days a week and have to pay something else for it. Yeah. But there's another reason why what we have here doesn't work in America either. And it's it's, it's this funny thing about Amer- America when I went there. You know, we think they're crazy about some things and they think we're crazy for other things, but mm-hmm. they're different. Mm-hmm. They have a completely different culture. Yeah. They're all about the individual. Indeed. You know, and that and that's and they don't see anything wrong with that. And I, I loved it, you know, being okay. there and, and, and those things. But I think uh, you've got to remember the, the amount of people you're dealing with, the space that you're, you're dealing yeah. with. It would be so a far, big thing it? to provide a system like that over okay. there. Right, two questions to fit to, to, to sure. uh, finish on then. Mm-hmm. Uh, favourite thing about what you saw there? What was your favourite thing? The whole network that you, that you saw and in the city, what was your favourite thing about it? Do you know what the favourite thing was? Where right in the in the, the kind of centre, there's a, there's a downtown. You get wonderful views of this from the elevated motorways that okay. you get through there. Yep. There's a large large kind of braided interchange there where um, it, it goes between like the the loop and and you're heading into town and it's fantastic and you just you you see so much from the highways. Yeah, that's what I like. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there are some sections where the, the the roads were depressed, but I love the elevated sections. All right. Okay, the opposite of that then. What was your least favourite thing about it? I hated their their intersections, their at grade. I don't like the foot the system of four way stop. All right, okay. You know, it. I don't think it work. I think it's a waste of capacity in some ways. You know, where they they don't. I only seen one roundabout there. So for the benefit of people listening that mm. don't know what four way stop is, mm-hmm. tell us. So basically, it, it it is as it sounds. You've got four roads coming together and the priority should go to the person who has arrived first. And that's pretty much it. Now, yeah. that can get quite vague yeah. at times, you know, because, like I was saying, they don't really have roundabouts, but I don't no. like that. But I didn't I didn't like the, the whole thing. From a driver's point of view, I love the fact that you could turn right and red. From a pedestrian point of view, you felt far more vulnerable crossing the road on a zebra yeah. there. I mean, you get that in Europe. Um, yeah, you do. R- right on red. Um, yeah. I know we've sort of toyed with the idea of left on red a few times, but mm. I think you need filter lanes and things available for that, and yeah. it's not a lot of that here either. It's not pedestrian friendly. In my, I, I've I've always found in the UK I feel much safer crossing the road than I did to compared to Berlin or yeah. know, over there. Yeah. Okay. So you'll go back. You would go back. Yeah, I'd live there if I could. Right. Okay. Well, <laughs> right. Well, it might be the Houston Motorway Archive. Um, <laughs> Start the other branch. Yeah. No, so you're not getting to... rid of me that easy, man. All right. Well, listen. Thank you for. I, I feel I, like a guest myself. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, we've been talking about this. Thank Obviously, you, the kind of live one got in the way last month, and you weren't <laughs> able to tell us all about it. But nah, it no was problems. worth sharing because see, the Glasgow system does kind of tie in with what the Americans yeah. have in, in, in certain ways. Interesting. Uh, it's <clears> very interesting to see it. Yeah. You know? All right. Okay. Well, that ties in nicely then to our thank next you. topic. Yes. And I will once again introduce Chris. Chris, mm-hmm. welcome. Hello. Thank you for coming along. I'm Thanks going to tell the listeners much, just a wee bit about who you are and what you do uh, before we actually talk about it. So Chris is a, a graduate civil engineer. Um, he is working in the transport sector mm-hmm. in Glasgow. I, to be a wee bit more descriptive in that, he works specifically with a company who look into traffic flow prediction uh, and how developments and things will affect the, the, the road works. Uh, sorry, the roads in general traffic. Uh, mm-hmm. For an example, if... If, for example, we're proposing to do works in the motorway and we're going to close a couple of lanes during the day, uh, which is an unusual thing, uh, the, the, the sort of work that Chris does was these guys will analyse the impact that that will have on traffic and then advise the designer and say, well, your delays are going to be 
five minutes, ten minutes, an hour, and then you can then make adjustments to your plans accordingly based on that. So that's the mm. kind of work that, that Chris does. Almost a modern-day kind of equivalent of what the guys like John Cullen and people like that yeah, were doing in the tra- 60s. that's traffic engineering. Traffic engineering, classic traffic engineering at its heart. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Chris is a graduate of Glasgow Stowe College, good college, wonderful views of the motorway, um, saved by... Uh, the alignment and the yep. design of the motorway interchange there, as we've mentioned many times, and he then studied at Harriet Watt University. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris has had some other interesting work as well. Um, mm-hmm. he, he worked as a setting out engineer in the Queensferry Crossing, a wonderful project. Yeah, uh, and on the Aberdeen Western Peripheral Route as well. So two of Scotland's largest civil yeah. engineering projects. You've you've been on them both, so that's that's great. Yeah, yeah, feathers like in your hand. Great opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm I'm sure you enjoyed it as well. Uh, so during his time at university, uh, Chris chose to undertake his dissertation in, in, in the final year of his studies in the field of transport engineering, uh, particularly choosing to model the infamously unbuilt sections of the, the Greater Glasgow Transportation Study uh, using the S-Paramics. S-Paramics, S-Paramics right, yep. uh, Transport Model Software, which again, that's the actual software that these guys use mm-hmm. to determine what impact works and things uh, and new developments are going to have on traffic. So it's, it's a very technical and intricate way of doing things but and these guys are boffins yeah i mean i've know. never used it i just imagine no. it's like a kind of a micro simulation of yeah that's cars. exactly what it is that, micro simulation software exactly is, yeah. um, yeah. which i had no idea how to use until i until i did until the you dissertation did that. and yeah there we are so basically chris um in his, um, his thesis was attempting to find out uh shed some light on whether the glasgow motorway network had it been built in full because we've all got half of it, or slightly less than half of it, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. If it had all been built, whether Glasgow would be a congestion-free city today? Yes. And the findings are interesting. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna talk. No all spoilers about yet. No. <laughs> we'll, we'll actually have the discussion. Yeah. So Chris, again, thank you very much for coming along. Mm. First thing I'm going to do is give a wee bit of background to people again on what the GGTS and the plans and all these things were. So, we often talk about a highway plan for Glasgow. That was Glasgow Corporation's own plan for its roads network within the city boundary. When the Scottish office and others got wind of what Glasgow was doing, and it was also found that a number of the other local authorities around about, Motherwell, Airdrie, Rutherglen, they were also using Scott Wilson Kirkpatrick for their designs for roads. It suddenly made sense that perhaps the Conurbation as a whole should get together and have a single transportation plan. Mm-hmm. Now, that didn't just mean roads and highways and private transport. That also included public transportation, railways, buses, you know, the lot. And it remains the largest single transportation study ever undertaken in Scotland. Yeah. Um, it ran from roughly 1963 through to 1973, and it published five reports. Now, the report that Chris specifically looked at is volume two, and that was the one that made the initial plans and recommendations uh, for the conurbation's transport needs for a period of up to 40 years, 1990 in some cases, and the year 2000 in others. So it was a long-term plan designed to develop and uh, come on stream as traffic flows increased and as population increased and, and the demand in the overall system you know, went up. So it was a very sensible way of looking at it. That's quite a good thing. Hmm. And it was actually led by a steering group. So there were uh, councillors and uh, people, elected officials from all the constituent local authorities got together and sat on the steering group and had a chairman. And together they devised a, a almost a, a plan, a logical plan that could be taken forward to deliver the, the, the proposals right, so in sections yeah, mm. over, over those years. And, and, and each scheme was prioritised and considered and weighted against one another. So in some cases, a good example is 
The Argyle line, uh, which was reopened in the late 70s, was found to have a greater rate of return than the Hamilton Motorway. So it was prioritised for funding first. It was built, the Hamilton Motorway ultimately wasn't, you know, so it was things like that. It was mm. all balanced against and weighted against uh, one another yeah. equally. Car wasn't prioritised over public transport and vice versa. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they, they kind of identified with that, that it wouldn't be sustainable to choose just one model over another. That's right. You know? It had to be... It had to be a, a, and bus, they looked at bus... Yeah. bus services and it was, it was a well. multi-modal yeah a holistic system, yeah, as we would kind of look at it yeah, yeah. as we as we uh-huh. would talk about now so the the whole thing came to a crashing halt in 1973 when they decided to abolish the the counties and corporations across scotland and uh, replace them with regional councils and district councils the regions were going to inherit all the highway authority powers and that meant that the new regions coming in um, of which Strathclyde replaced Ayrshire, Renfrewshire, Lanarkshire, Glasgow, Dumbartonshire, uh, and other parts. Um, they had to take all of the individual schemes that each of these authorities had devised and come up with a plan for the region going forward. And changes in money and politics and, and opinions led to a sort of a list of 15 priority schemes being drawn up out of the original list of God knows however many they had. Yeah. And these are the ones that were taken forward. And even then, some of those were cancelled. Like the Maryhill Motorway was initially on that list, but then fell off. Mm-hmm. The east flank of the inner ring road was on that list, but, but fell then off. Fell, well, went through some revisions yeah. and then fell off. Yeah, And then fell off. So, you know, yeah. so even that initial list. And then most of what we would classify as being of regional or national, uh, sorry, regional or local importance. Mm-hmm. So that would be routes like the Cumbernauld, uh, Hamilton Paisley Motorway, mm-hmm. which were seen as being more of regional importance than national importance, they never really found support from the Scottish office, and they would needed to have been funded almost entirely by the region, yeah. uh, and there just simply wasn't the money for that. And then there's other like local uh, schemes in there, like the Rutherglen Expressway or the Bishop, Bishop Briggs Expressway, that probably had local significance. They also would needed to have been funded by the region. Mm-hmm. And again, the money just simply wasn't there. So, so there's a number of reasons why certain things were cancelled. Not all because there was public opposition. Mostly, it has to be said, for the GGTS as a result of uh, political changes and, and, and just simply lack of budget. So that gives us a good, uh, a good, good foundation yeah. and intro into it. Yeah. And okay. I, did, I posted the image last week mm-hmm. of what the System 3 network of the GGTS um, Volume 2 was so that's on Facebook and Twitter. You'll see that if you want to have a look at it. And there's a whole multitude of roads on there, like the Campsie Expressway, uh, Northlink Motorway, mm-hmm. Lomond Motorway, Maryhill Motorway, Southlink Motorway. There's, there's so many, so many. so so many. So basically, what Chris has done is he has gone back to the the drawing board um, and said, "Okay, hang on. We built half of it. What if we built the other half? Would it work?" And that that was the sort of basis of Chris's report. Mm-hmm. So Chris. Coming on from what John was talking about in, in America, we just keep building and building and building and building and hoping for the best. We moved away from that um, that way of working about twenty years ago, if yep. I'm right in saying that. And and that and to you to you and your industry, that way of thinking is basically predict and provide. And that is basically what was at the heart of the the work the GGTS committee were doing, the consultants there. I should have said there was an American company, Tippett, Abbott, McCarthy, were involved with Scott Wilson in this as well. They helped with the population predictions and things like that. Now, it should be said that the population predictions in the GGTS were way off. 
Yeah. I think they predicted Goodness. something like a million in Glasgow by 1990 or something. It was found within 10 years that the population predictions were way off. Yeah. But what were spot on were their traffic predictions. That's right. You know, so the, so the car ownership figures were right. Okay, they were based on higher population. It just happened to turn out that more people had cars, more households had cars than they maybe thought they would be. They never anticipated uh, Amazon, did they? No, and all, the things, deliveries. And all the deliveries and things <laughs> like that that would come about. So, yeah, yep. so that kind of that. So, Chris, tell me then, what is Predict and Provide? So, Predict and Provide, it's. It's a form of traffic transport uh, planning that they they used in the 1950s and 60s in the inception of the GGTS, mm. and it was it, it worked on the basis of ex- then exactly what it says on the tin. Really, it was uh, predicting uh, increases in demand based on previous fo- uh, previous demand increases in the past and providing for those increases, mm. and uh, it's. You know, going back to what John was saying about yep. America, it's, there's, it's, a, it's very interesting because Scott Wilson Patrick took a lot of influence from That's American right. design yeah. concepts. Yep. Um, and so it's fascinating to see that they're still using this method of transport mm-hmm. planning yeah. that we have now sort of moved away from now into the 21st century. Yeah. And we've, we've kind of realised the frailties of predict and provide. Mm-hmm. So, so why, did, why did we move away from that then? What was the main reasons behind that? So with predict and provide... You, you're providing road capacity at all costs, uh, right. and and you're you're looking at past tre- trends in traffic demand, which, if you if you only provide for the the increases in demand, then mm-hmm. you you're almost providing a d- capacity beyond what you what you require at the moment. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So compared to what you actually need, so it's almost exactly. like you're inviting additional vehicles yes, to so, use it. So it has it has the the sort of effect of inducing tra- traffic demand rather than just coping with it mm-hmm. and you know if if you build a, a high capacity road like like so what you were saying john yeah. tw- 24 lanes in texas mm. th- uh, 24 lanes yet they've still got a peak hour issue yeah. with traffic it's mm-hmm. because people are looking at this and seeing it as an attractive route yeah and they're going to they're going to use that route because that yeah. is that it's is the high capacity yeah. Route option yeah exactly mm-hmm. so i think moving into the 21st century we kind of moved away from that uh, mm. that philosophy of providing roads and, and infrastructure at all costs mm. and we've moved into the sort of modern age of transport planning which is we still need to provide for that demand but how can we provide for it in, in other ways not mm. just for Through road cars, capacity yeah. Yeah. so like encouraging buses and, and trains and things I, like I, that I've heard the phrase years you might have heard this yourself um, Chris when talking about this concept is is you, you lock in the benefits by by well supposedly locking the benefits by just providing what's required rather than yeah. providing something for growth. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think now we're even looking to try and you know we don't necessarily provide for the the car usage that we are mm. predicting. We we try and provide other forms of transport like we'll yeah. provide for the for public transport for yeah. example walking mm-hmm. and cycling. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we're, we're we're certainly moving away from that. But it's interesting that you know the GGTS was designed on the concept of American eyes design principles yeah, yeah. Um, so so certainly it's not surprising to, to realize that a lot of this infrastructure that was planned it was it was vast yeah. and yet not not realized for a number of, of reasons mm. mm-hmm. yeah okay so it's interesting now I'm gonna I'm gonna play play devil's advocate here and I'm gonna okay. ask you a question right and I'm gonna say why why is predict and provide bad is it just a case of because it just encourages more and more car use? Is there any possibility of it of of car, say, car use leveling out? 
you know, will it find a level mm. and then just stay at that level? Or, or does research and, you know, or, or actual experience through con- construction, does that tend to show that actually it just continues to to, co- to go up? Yeah, I think I think you need to, to answer that question, look at the sort of American principles and, and like what John was saying, you know, you've got these frontage motorways which mm. the, the, the population then sprawls out with the city. Yeah. yeah. So you have that effect of people can afford to live further out the city yet they can still travel in just yeah. as just as easily. Good point. Yeah. Good and point. and so, you know, we look at the there's a there's a good example with Detroit uh and in, in America in which the the inner city now is completely run down and, and, mm. and deteriorated and, and there's a huge amount of urban decay set in which yeah. was which was can be you know it can be put down to the the rise of the motor car. Mm-hmm. The production line allowed people to you know, people that Move previously wouldn't have it allowed people that previously wouldn't have been able to afford a car to, to, to own a car yeah. and, and, mm-hmm. and car ownership grew. They provided roads for these people and the the city the city sprawled. Mm-hmm. Um and so I I think yes, maybe it would plateau eventually, but mm-hmm. I think it would plateau after a point that it's already too much of an issue. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I can I can understand that. It's something that you can see how that that would be the case. And thinking thinking about sprawl, I mean mm. that's something like the GGTS is a good example because most of the outer roads weren't built, or in fact, were any of the outer roads built? I don't think they were. And and when you look tragically at the, looking at the map now, when you look yeah. at the, when you look at the plan and you see some of the outer rings and things like that that yeah. were planned, you can imagine that there would probably have been. B&Q, yeah. Retail <laughs> parks, offices, yeah. hotels. I've always felt that exactly is what's going to happen with the Aberdeen Western Peripheral Route. Yeah. Now, I know you worked yeah. on that, uh, and I'm not slagging it off at all, <laughs> but uh, I don't know what kind of planning is in place for that. But, no, Stuart, you've got a point. You yeah. really do have a point, because it becomes handy. Yeah. But, but see, in the 60s, they, that was what they wanted. They wanted yes. it to be convenient. But, yes. But at the same time, Mm. They didn't want it to be the primary method of transportation no, over they, everything else. They didn't, and this is actually mm. can I can I, if I just bring it back to Houston for one minute, I don't think once I know you are the expert here with this, Chris, but I do feel that the reason why the whole system jams up there not because they are one trying to build their way out of congestion is because they're not building other means of it as well. Is they could take a lot of traffic off their roads with the public transport system as well. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, it's so. I don't know. To be honest with you, now, you, you know my views on public transport investment in this country. I yeah. think it's woeful, uh, yeah. particularly in buses and, and things like that. I, I mean, we've taken a huge step back in the Glasgow conurbation in terms of transportation. Mm. The I've always been more of a years. train, rapid yeah. transit kind of guy. To I mean, be honest with you, only yeah. only in Scotland could you say that in 1985 you could make the journey from bus to train to tra- uh, to tram to subway to whatever ferry <laughs> on one ticket, but now you can't. Yeah, because of the interference that's come along and all the changes that have been made to the to the system that's there. Mm. So when we traffic light transport, you had single, you know, a single operator, basically yeah. buses, trains, subway. Okay. And we broke all that up. So is it any wonder that, say, in Glasgow, that traffic has continued to rise and rise and rise and rise? And you make this point. You and I have had mm. some disagreements about this recently. Mm-hmm. I I use the bus to get to work. Mm-hmm. I use the, an interurban bus service. Um, which I find works very well. Mm-hmm. But what lets it down is it hits congestion on the M8. And it was only recently when I've started using the bus, I suddenly realised that there are so many people on the M8 in cars on their own Mm -hmm. to go to work. Now, 
there are people who will work in parts of the country that maybe have no other means of getting there. Yeah. That's that's possible. But there are so many of these people that are still coming off and going into the city centre. Mm-hmm. Why in 2020 mm-hmm. are people still driving to Glasgow city centre to work? Because they will go there, come what may. This is the thing. You make, Stuart, you made a point how we do have quite poor public transport provision in things. And you said just there as well that, you know, why why are people still insisting on going in? Or or you say, for some people, there's no option yeah. but to go to the car. There's two points tally up there. Mm-hmm. That That's the reason, you yeah. know, what, why it is. Because people see no option. I'll bring it back to my finance argument again. They're paying for a car. They'll use it. They'll sit in congestion, come what may. Okay. You know? Because right. the thing is, I see because I'm a driver myself. I've got to pay pay for the whole thing, you know. Yeah. So. Um, All right. Okay. So we're kind of, we're kind of digressing a wee bit there. Mm. But to bring it back to Chris. Yes. Chris, Sorry, t- Chris. Tell <laughs> us <laughs> quietly, impatiently. Tell <laughs> us about then what you looked at. Now, I, I've also read your report. John's read your report. Yeah. You considered four four different systems. Is that correct? Yes. One that's was right. had we, we not mod- built? Yeah. T- you tell yeah. me. You tell so, us. So we we were lucky enough to get. A, a model of Glasgow City Centre as it is today. It was a, it was a model that was commissioned um, in 2007 by yep. Glasgow City Council. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we were lucky, at uh, what University were lucky enough to have access to this model. Um, so I, w- I, w- I was fascinated with the GGTS and as a, as a user of Glasgow's motorways, you know, looking at the ski jumps yep. in Glasgow yep. and wondering yeah. just what they were, yep. why they were there. I was fascinated by, by that. So, I, I you know, I, I took on this, this study and, and looked at building in S Paramics the full extents of the GGTS yeah. and inter- interestingly also we, we we took away all of the motorway infrastructure as well as a, in another model so right. we built okay. four models the first model was uh, the 1960s model so as Glasgow would have been in the 1960s mm-hmm. with okay. no motorways and that was with nothing. today's traffic flows so, modelled on so it so yes yeah, so we, we modelled it with the 1960s flows right. in the GGTS and today's flows brilliant um, okay. so yep. so that was a, that was a fascinating, you know, it, it, the results of that were fascinating in yeah. terms of showing us just how much in need Glasgow was for for, for infrastructure. So, so Glasgow had a dire problem. So because yes, we we're yes. always telling people, and John Cullen always told us that that Glasgow was a be, a very congested city centre. Mm. So we're accurate when we when we say that Absolutely. based on your findings. Okay. Absolutely, um, and, and to, to back that up with some some figures here, you yep. know, and and uh, the average network speed. In the 1960s, was just 8.8 miles per yeah. hour in our in our model. That's exactly the figures that John Cullen would, would give us seven eight miles an hour. I hope you've not been plagiarising <laughs> this. And just go, oh, don't bother running the software. We'll just we'll just copy that. Um, <laughs> it's very close. Yeah. So well that you know and and even further still with mm. today's traffic flows that would reduce down to just 5.4 <laughs> miles per hour. Oh dear. <laughs> oh. Could you could you imagine? I mean, what would oh, what no. was your conclusion of what that would do to the city? You know, well, so. When we run the model in S-Paramics, it's interesting. You can see a visual representation, and you don't, you know you don't just get a numerical analysis out of it out of okay. S-Paramics. You get a, a sort of visual representation, and what it does is it, it highlights rings of traffic, and the the bigger the ring, the bigger the the, the queue. Yeah. And mm. so, looking at the nineteen sixties model, it's fascinating to see all these rings scattered everywhere around Glasgow, and you can see the individual uh, cars, which mm. are just at a standstill. 
the yeah. you know the, so you can zoom right in you on can, it. You can zoom in and out and, and have great. a and have a good look and and, and investigate every this, little. This junction. is our kind of thing. Do you know who yeah. would love this? And he should be here for this. Wojciech. Yeah, that would be his. Wojciech, our other member. He he's well into all that kind of stuff as well. He's a big. He plays this game called City Skylines. Where you can do all these things with traffic, and he loves that. You yeah. Know? So yeah. that that sounds like be right up his street then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really <laughs> it's, does. It's just a, it's a, it's mm. a, a highly technical version of SimCity, really. It is. Yeah, yeah. that's what it is. That's, that's what I was going to make a parallel to. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people who say, "Oh, I wish they never built the MA and all these kind of things." But you're kind of making the point here that they didn't. Well, you'd so, have this big problem. I mean, one of the thing, one of the arguments that we we come up against a lot from, mm. from people who. People don't appreciate that we're all looking at heritage and things like that. And they'll yeah. say to us, but the motorway, it's a nightmare. It does this and all this traffic, blah, blah, blah. But the same people then are almost using the benefits that come about as a result of it to justify yeah. the avenues projects in the yeah. city centre, yeah. increased pedestrianisation, bus gates that simply wouldn't have been possible if you if, if these were some yeah, thoroughfares, you know? And we talk about public transport, but ultimately it wouldn't be possible to have public transport if we had streets that were gridlocked, you know? Yeah. We, we yeah. would still have yeah. the same issues, so... Mm-hmm. You know, as much as we talk about trying to get people out of their cars, mm. you know, the infrastructure that's there is necessary. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we've certainly found that, um, you know, with, with these models and, 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 and mm. building further onto, you know, we've added to the base model a number of roads which have already, which have now been built yeah. in, in yeah. Glasgow to, to, to arrive at our base model. Um, and then, you know, looking at that, we're, we're talking about rising up to about 20 miles per hour. An average yeah. speed, yeah, and so that seems a bit more realistic, mm-hmm. um, and you know, uh, you know, moving on further from that, we then we then built two two more models. One was the ring road model, so that was ex- everything that exists today. Okay, but so just as it was, is now, yeah, as it is now, but we, we added the east flank. All ah, right, of, of, of then a ring road. So east east and south, you've added east and south, east and east south. And south. So, south the, yeah. so we would have had that ring road model. Okay, so, so that that. That allows us to see I'm how interested. that infra- infrastructure would would have coped with today's yeah. traffic now, demands. You make the point in your report, and mm. and it's obviously the case, and I'll, I'll say this again for the listeners that the east and south flanks were actually designed to be the busier quarters. That's right, and or half of the, of that ring road, and they were intended that from east east to west and north to south traffic traveling across the city mm. would have been encouraged to use the south and east flanks. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how what you found yeah. there because of the okay. additional capacity on that than there probably was for Charing yeah. Cross. Absolutely, and it, it, it was very interesting because although the numerical figures stacked up and showed that we would have obviously had a, a little bit of a decrease in congestion and queuing and an increase in average speed across the network, yeah. the issues that we have today with queuing coming into Glasgow from the east, mm-hmm. it almost had the effect of sort of just dispersing that problem down to Elsewhere. the to the southwest of, of Glasgow, right. just south of the Kingston Bridge. Uh-huh. So, so where, that, where, where the sort of south flank merged mm. with the what is now the west flank, yeah. mm. you know, you were you were shifting that problem of queuing to there. Yeah. down to there. Interesting. Yeah. So that that's interesting is is the fact that I'm saying that that would be plantation even worse than it is now. Yeah. Um, just as a specific question, when I mean, you say you, you you've done the other side of the ring, would that still include the modern M74 there as well? So or did you omit the M74? No, I've I've, I've omitted the M74 because right. the M74 it almost provides that South that gap now. Yeah. You know, it provides okay. provides for that gap. So you you done this as if still, you know, we, yep. we didn't have exactly. that and it was in that role. Yeah. Right, okay. So that, that in a ring road would have would have yeah, I mean better in some ways but worse in others. Yeah. 
So I, I suppose so around about the town head interchange area then, would that have been congestion free in that model? Not quite congestion free, but much better than it operates just now. Right. right. Certainly looking at the, the um, peak hour, yeah. there was there was much reduced con- Probably congestion. A lot of road. people right now listening to this podcast stock at Proven <laughs> <laughs> going <laughs> Damn it! You know, <laughs> yeah, or coming in the other way from the from the uh, from the west. Yeah, that is that is interesting. Now, Char- what about Charing Cross? What about the two lane stretch? What, how how did it improve with with the east and south flanks? Was there a noticeable improvement there, mm-hmm. or just a slight one? There wasn't actually much of a difference there. Right? Oh, okay. There wasn't okay. much yeah. of a difference mm-hmm. there because you know the the only the only difference that we found was that. Uh, sort of vehicles making journeys traversing the city were mm. the only ones that really started to use the south and east flanks. Yeah, yeah. Whereas everything else that was heading into the city was still using that right. um, that western exactly flank as, into as, Cross. that's exactly as it was intended. Yeah, you know that's that's the thing. That's exactly as intended. So that's. Do you know? I, I only you saying this is it's strange hearing you say, but I'd love to have John here right now. John, John Cullen would have been. John Cullen, yeah. this, this would have been yeah. such a great discussion. Obviously, John was it is never had access to the of technology course, uh, that, that's that, right. that you guys have. So to I think hear they did that, all the calculations by hand, yeah, didn't they? They're doing all yeah. these manual things. Like there was one IBM computer that mm. was in the whole country, <laughs> and they had to send all the data away it's and get it run through through the computer. And when when they did their original. Uh, pr- predictions in 1960-61 for the inner ring road and for the, the Glasgow aspect of it. They hit, there was no computer at all. You know, it was all just you know their own experience and their own the, the hand calculations. Pages and pages yeah. of calculations. Yeah. yeah, you know, and and we th- we found through our own kind of research that their traffic predictions for 1990 were more or less spawn. I mean, we always use the Kingston Bridge headline Kingston Bridge figure. They said there would be 120,000 vehicles a day using the Kingston Bridge in 1990, and there were. You know, yeah. so they, they were more or less spot on. And at Townhead, they said it would be something like ninety to 100,000, and it was, you know. But then that was with the other bits not being built, mm-hmm. you know. So we like to think that their that predictions were actually pretty spot on. And based on what you told me about, about you know, the, the, yeah. the system where it wasn't built, that kind of ties in. Mm. So, what? okay, after, what came after that then? What came after your ring road model? We then built the what we call the, the full GTS. It was nowhere near the full GTS. Right. It was mm-hmm. the inner and outer ring roads, yeah. which was an, a massive amount of infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So yeah. basically what we built was for, 42 miles worth of additional infrastructure. Right. Now that made up around 40% of, of what the total yeah. infrastructure that was on that was included in the in the G- full G- model. Yes. So, yeah. so that must have been, so there would have been about 10, 20% then that hasn't been modelled that would have been built in addition yes, to that. Yeah. If we take forty yeah. percent of what, what what was built, forty percent is additional what you're yeah. saying you would have built. So that would have left a, a small section as that's well right. for for that. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, that's interesting. So is tell me then. Yeah. So sorry, let me hang on. Let me think. So we would have had the Maryhill Motorway in that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Did we have the Lomond Motorway as well? You know, the one that goes right across and joins it. We did. Yes. yes. Uh, the Hamilton Motorway. Yep. And the obviously the outer ring roads. The 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 spine roads that connected the, right. the, the, the spokes. Mm-hmm. Okay, and how did that perform? So we tested it with two traffic flows. So the first the first traffic flow that we tested was with today's demand. When I say today's demand, it was two, it was the traffic data that we had for 2010. Right, okay. When the, when the model was built. Right. Um, so near enough. So there's not been a huge change not, since Not a massive change, not. but near enough. Yeah. And the first thing we noticed was when, when we run the model uh, visually, that it was a much, much, much improved version of today's Glasgow. Right. You know, you okay. Oh, okay. We had we had small little bits of congestion here and there, mainly though on the, you know, the slip roads 
coming okay. off more way in in the center a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But generally, the 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 motorways themselves were operating pretty much free flow. Mm-hmm. So, is this based on just just to ask a question that some of our listeners might have? Is this based on peak times? This is based on the AM peak hour. So uh, I've identified right. that the AM peak hour was the the busiest period of the day. Yeah. Okay. Um, and we've we've modelled from eight o'clock to nine o'clock. Right, so you're morning. saying between 8 o'clock and 9 o'clock in the morning with that whole system, it more or less ran fleet free flow? More or less, yes. Well, that's with 2010. <laughs> and we still course. had 20% more stuff to build, stuff to potentially. Build. Now, th- there is a caveat here, and you make this point in your report, that mm. it's, it's difficult to predict exactly whether that would entirely have been the case, yeah. because it could well be that there would have been induced... That's right. Growth, yeah, of course. ...demand yeah. or use of it. You know, had well, well, we met if had even yeah. more people using the system... This is just it. So I think the way to look at this is, is if it's suddenly if we just clicked our fingers and that network appeared overnight, yeah. that's, that, then then yeah. you go and do your surveys that week or whatever, that's mm-hmm. probably what you find. You you, you do know? also make the point though, didn't you, that there are, even with that system, mm. that even if it was like worst case, there's still actual additional capacity in it. You said mm. that, didn't yeah, you? There, there was still is, actual space for more yeah, growth in traffic. That's right, yeah. 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 And, and what's even more fascinating is we, we also... I've run the model with the predicted 1990s yeah. demands, which is when the GGTS was due for yeah. completion. Yeah. And like you said, they were they were almost spot on with the predictions. Good. So this is a pretty accurate reflection, really, yeah. of, of I, I think the the uh, the sort of flow that we would have around Glasgow. Yeah. And yeah. and having run the 1960s, uh, the 1990s traffic demands, mm-hmm. it's fascinating. We, we reduce congestion to almost zero. Yeah. I mean, in, around yeah. the city. <laughs> Your, your increased speeds, you know, we were talking about 8 miles per hour earlier in the 1960s mm. model, you're increasing speeds now to about the average of 32 miles per hour, yeah. including, you know, in the city centre where, this, where the, yeah. the speeds are as, as low as 10 to 20 miles an hour. Yeah. yeah. It's, it is quite incredible. I just think if all of that had been built, what other great environmental improvements would you have in areas that, that you know, look at, like, say, Mary Hill Road or something like that? Or well, see, yeah, well, see, that's the benefit. The you know, you, set, yeah. you bypass all these things, then suddenly that street becomes far more attractive for, you know, yeah, and easier for public transport or walking or cycling. But whatever. we have made the point before that mm. we have to bear in mind that these very noisy motorways would have been passing by some of these communities, yeah. some of which... We're not going to get any major so benefit it, from it, these roads. You know that has to be considered. But there's always ways that you can construct a road that it's going to have less of an impact, such as depressing yeah. it. And d- yeah, you I know, know, I know. But we just but, have to be, uh, we have to be conscious of the fact that you know some like like in the Mary Hill motorway, for example, was mm. cancelled because the local people there more or less said this motorway is for Bears Denham guy. Yeah, which you know kind of well, was. No, but well, hold on, it did have you junctions know, with with Mary did, Hill, and it followed the line of the canal. You know, which was already uh, a point of severance. I know, but the but car ownership figures even in the sixties mm-hmm. and even now in Mary Hill, people have still... to think about the the end to end of it. You don't just have the motorway just for you. You know, it, it always goes from A to B. You know, and this is where John and I differ on our opinions. Well, and, I'm, and I'm a little bit. You have to think of the big picture. Yeah, you know, in yeah. these things. I'm a wee bit more considerate of people. <laughs> <laughs> This is his New Year's resolution, everyone. So that's just it. We've got nice, lovely Stuart now. Yes, indeed. So there we go. Right, okay. John. Yeah. Questions. Do you have any questions off the top of your head that, that you could ask Chris about traffic flows or any specific areas? Like, let's think, think today. Let's hmm. Thinking about the network we have now, 
Chris, right? And you've told us that if we built the GGTS or even two thirds of it, yeah, congestion free city. Woohoo! Uh, Scottish Government, if you're listening, I've got plans, copies of this plan here available for use if you want to build this. Uh, just give me a shout, we won't charge you for it. You paid for it back in 1965 anyway. Uh, oh, you joke. You know, so, you know, it's here if you want it. Um, but anyway, coming back to thinking of today's traffic issues, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the existing M8 is overloaded at peak mm. times. Particularly the the kind of Renfrew motorway sections, you know, you west of the city. Yeah, you you had a lovely sample of that not a while ago, and I was like, "Welcome to my day." It was an eye opener for me, yeah. um, and it has changed my opinion uh, on numbers uh, of people using cars. I do, things. I do believe, you know, the situation there has actually got worse, even still, since the M seventy four and the M seventy three were improved a number of years ago. Is it's had this kind of plug effect where that traffic all now free flowing and and even more can can get through there. I always think whenever you make road improvements, you need to look at a whole region. Going, yeah, okay, we're widening that bit, but that will mean then you're going to need to widen that bit, yeah, that bit because yeah. you've made I this mean, point. You shift the problem that's around. It. That's you what know. we're finding with when we're modelling these things that if you Great. solve a problem in one area, it's most pushed of the it time, the other. and it you know, moves it we've else. got a classic example of that mm-hmm. recently. We improved Shawhead Interchange on the M8 A8 at Coke Bridge. Yeah. We put the underpass in at Wraith Interchange in the M74, well, and now Whirly's Roundabout at the top <laughs> of the 725 East Kilbride has gone back to the traffic nightmare it was in the 80s yeah. and 90s. All the traffic is doing is getting there far sooner mm-hmm. than it did this before. Is, this is this thing, and um, it, was, it was actually already bad. Yeah. Stuart, it, was, it wasn't great. You know, so in my perspective, you need to provide a consistent improvement from end to end if, you, if you're looking at doing <laughs> Which things I suppose like is where plans like this, uh, you know, huge... Plans that it's, consider it's the a big thing, but, it's consi- but it's it's what you need to do if you want the thing functioning. Properly. And that's for all forms of transportation, I mm. suppose. It's not it's mm-hmm. not just for roads. Yeah. Um, a, yeah. No, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. It's just saying. I was I was going to say with with the questions that I'd have for Chris, it'd probably be more hypothetical. I'd say, well, or ask Chris really your opinions on maybe what what would solve Glasgow's transport. What what new routes could we build? Say uh, or in, if we weren't to build new routes, what would we do? So I'll, I'll, I'll pose my first that's, question. That's a very interesting question. I think you know. Okay. You talk about the M seventy four and M seventy seven projects. I think a lot mm-hmm. of these roads that were designed for in the GGTS, we've in some way or another, we've we've almost kind of come round full circle to providing them. Yeah. Not maybe in the form that they were initially planned, we're, but we're getting we're, we're, there. We're getting, we're getting there, there and we're coming around. And I think. Mm-hmm that's the way it should come forward okay. from now on and, and it shouldn't you know it shouldn't necessarily all be one plan this is this is how okay. much we build because ultimately we've seen with the ggts if if it's too ambitious and, mm. and too much infrastructure it being proposed mm. then sometimes it's just it's just not possible yeah. to, to, yeah. to, pro- to provide I, you're for right that. it was it was radical it was ambitious but at the same time i would say that it was grounded in the sense that the way the, the proposals were sort of done in a way that they made them feasible from an engineering mm. point of view. I mean, not maybe not so much from a planning or a funding point of view, but from mm. an engineering point of view, what they tried to do was they proposed these routes in ways that you could build small bits and you would get benefits from those. So I'm thinking of like bits like the first section of the Air Road route or the Air yeah, Motorway. motorway. Yep. You know, so they were doing it in wee sections because it was more affordable, but you were getting instant benefits. So like traffic was coming off the E77 or yeah. the E8 and things like that. So Like a modular it, system. Aye, so it's almost modular in that, in that sense, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay, um, from a roads perspective, if you could... You, you, you're now familiar with the GGTS. What what would you like to see if some route there could be built now? What one do you think would be give the greatest benefits for the area? 
He's drawing a blank. Um, yeah, he's <laughs> thinking. He's like, oh, there's so many. You know, uh, you know. We often hear, oh, Glasgow needs a bypass. You know, is it maybe something of the north or of the south, or maybe maybe it's another urban motorway that you think would be required? Do you know? I don't. I, I think. I think we we have provided. Mm-hmm. I think what we need in, in Glasgow at the moment, and okay. I don't think there's necessarily a, a, a requirement to provide more. More within I think the, city. Uh, the The more we provide, it's it's getting back into that way of predictive right. provide. Okay. You know, providing motorway because there's mm-hmm. you know there's demand there. I think now we should be looking at how mm-hmm. do we get people out of their cars and onto other forms okay. of, of transport, whether that's you know the train, the bus, how you know improving cycling routes. Okay. Um, and and certainly that's something that I've seen a lot of more recently uh, in Glasgow is is you know mm. not necessarily providing more road capacity but actually reducing that road capacity okay uh, you know for to provide cycle lanes and and mm-hmm. for pedestrianisation and things and I think you know okay. moving forward I think that's probably the way that that we should go. Okay. Well, um, I'll angle you. You've done well there. You've come away from a question. You've done it, but you've answered another question, which is okay. Say we weren't going to do so many roads. What do you think it do? Okay. Uh, a question we do get uh, points that people get is Glasgow should have had a bypass. Okay. If Glasgow had to have a bypass, where do you think the best the best way would to go? Uh, south of the city or north oh. of the city? Should we have? Given that we've already got the ski jumps in place, maybe we should just bring it around that way and then tie it in there. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if we want it in the traditional sense that we want a road far out from the town, like something like the Edinburgh City Bypass or yeah. the Aberdeen Western yeah. Peripheral Route, you know, do you think that would bring benefits? And if so, where would where, where should that go? I suppose the question is, is there enough traffic going from the far west to the far east of the city on a daily basis? Do we get a lot? Do we get a lot of regional traffic, national traffic coming through Glasgow? Yeah, we do. Looking at the, you know, looking at the the traffic, mm. the model demands. There's yeah. certainly a lot of long distance tra- traffic coming from all all yeah. areas. So that's going still the case. That remains the case. Still the case. And so that could well be some justification. See, see, for I've it. always been of the opinion this needs to be provided. Mm. You know, absolutely, because it is an example of a city that doesn't actually have that. You know? Yeah, so there's we, no way to avoid the city for no, through traffic. No, there isn't. And there are areas of the city, particularly in the north of the city, that are very poorly catered for by high capacity routes, you know? To bring it through. The thing that that, that, that bugs me is nobody wants HGVs and things like that coming through the smaller residential roads streets, and residential yeah. stuff. Yeah. So how are we moving freight around, you know? That's that was a question I was going to ask you. Mm. That traffic continues to grow now, now. I don't know what annual growth rates on traffic is. It like one percent, two percent? Is it even as high as that? Not even. Not, not even, even as high as that. that now, no. when they were planning this and building this, it was like six and seven percent a year at one point in the sixties. It were huge figures. Now that growth. Now, from my perspective, I don't see more people having cars than had cars 10, 20 years ago. Yeah. Is this increase primarily down to an increase in sort of us, you know, light goods vehicles? You know, what the Amazon effect? Are there mm. more vans in the road than there were 20 years ago? Is that true or is that... I think, no, I think people are, you know, households now are not necessarily having one car. They're yeah. having mm. two cars, three, even four. Four, uh, you know, so I see that a lot. Right. So, that, so I think that's a big, a big part of it is that, you know, mm. you've got households who can now afford to have yes, because, a number of cars. Because the cost of cars hasn't necessarily gone up no, with the, the sort of a... No, re- it, you know, yeah. um, I, I sound like a broken record, but I'll go back to it. It's so easy to get cars with finance now. Yep. You know, you can go on and, and you can get something when you're thinking about it as only a monthly payment. Yeah. It doesn't see it, 20 grand doesn't seem like that much. You're just paying it like a mobile phone bill you or are. something like that. And then because they're paying that, they're going to use it. And uh, this 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 is the thing, and to a lot of people, I mean, I'm a driver. It's door to door for me. You know, it's comfortable. Okay, you know? as, as a as a 
traffic engineer mm. where do you see traffic um, growth going in the next 10 years in the 2020s what do you see happening in the 2020s I think what we're what we're predicting at the moment and mm. we, we still use you know a sort of minor version of predicting provide we mm -hmm. use like the national road traffic forecast yep, to yep. predict increases in demand yep. um, so short term I, I see it continuing on the same trend but I think longer term you have to look at the introduction of maybe driverless cars and things and it yeah. starts to become you know a different debate about how, how they how they will operate and, yep. and will that increase the capacity of the roads mm -hmm. you know <laughs> because you've, you've got the platooning effect you've got yeah. years coming in and, and then so these roads that we've got in Glasgow at the moment mm. do they become higher capacity yeah you know do, do people share cars in that sense so I think in the in the immediate future I don't see road mm -hmm. the the I don't see the increase in changing too much more okay. than what so okay. a what-if question from me then if the Scottish government have provided a, a basic network of roads now and, and their view is that in the central belt the motorway system's done the M8 the M 80, M64, they're all built, they're all done. Mm -hmm. There's no active proposals to tackle congestion through additional capacity or anything like that at the moment. The M8 between uh, Edinburgh and in Lanarkshire is, is dual two-lane in both ways and it struggles at peak times. If traffic continues to grow and we keep hoping that people will start doing other things but we don't actively do anything to encourage them into buses and trains and things like that, what do you think will happen to the network? Is the network going to grind to a halt if people just keep driving, come what me? I think mm. in the same sense that building more infrastructure encourages people into their cars, I think if the more and more the network grinds to a halt, that in itself will encourage people out of their cars potentially. Yeah. Um, That's an argument I've heard a lot. Is, is John and I have been talking about this recently. You know, is basically there's a system, you can run things down to the point where they're, they're so awful that people go, you know what? I'm just not doing this anymore. Does that have a social and an economic impact? No. Mm. I don't know if anybody here is qualified to answer that. I just wonder, does that <laughs> so have... It's just opinions. Yeah, yeah does, okay. that have a, does that have an adverse effect on people's lives? The pollution? If all these cars are well, sitting gridlocked, do we have, they end up with air quality issues? Right, well, well I'll, I'll stab in with this, and then maybe Chris can provide a counterpoint here, but if, if, if this kind of apocalyptic scenario happened where everything ground to a halt, first off, air quality, you know, vehicles idling and stuff like that, it would get pretty bad. And also it would hurt the economy massively. When we have major incidents on the network, it costs the economy a huge amount of money, you know, and kind of lost time and all the things that come with that. The same would be the case for congestion. The other thing, you know, it, it would hurt business. I suppose, know, as, though, as but at the same time, we are starting mm. to move away from these traditional indicators, uh, you mm. know, to determine whether things are good or bad. You know, okay. there's a time where congestion was deemed to be a really bad thing economically. Yes. It had to be tackled. Whereas now, there's kind of movement away from that. But we just don't have enough of our goods going by other means. Everything's yeah. sitting in vans, and it's not getting anywhere if it's stuck in a traffic jam. Mm -hmm. You know, th this is the way, the way... I see what you're saying. I yeah. do see what you're saying. But see, I live in the real world, and I sit on these motorways, and everything, everything we have in this room right now has been delivered here because of a road. You know, and you can imagine if none of that worked, nothing would work. I and it is, it's scary though. And there is this online effect mm. as well. I mean, I was reading figures the other day that suggest that online shopping continues to increase in the 10 years from now, it might actually mm. outdo traditional means of turning but, but up I, and buying I've heard crazy arguments that the online shopping will solve congestion problems because people aren't going to the shops as much. But you're replacing the people going to the shops Vans with things being things. delivered. Yeah. You know, yeah. so. Yeah. 
This is this is the problem. It's an interesting time. It must be an interesting time for guys in your yeah. field because we are at this sort of a point in time where I feel that a step change is coming. Yeah. You know, the, the traditional message of just allowing for more cars or more vehicles, mm. you know, that the, the whole attitude and the whole opinions towards road building are really starting to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, I think it must be fascinating for you guys yeah, to say, right, 10 years from now, what are we doing? You know, Certainly, coming into the industry in the last couple of years, you know, mm. we, uh, you see that we're all the time trying to provide for other forms of transport yeah. other than the car you know we have a hierarchy of travel which is you know starts with pedestrians cyclists yeah moves on to public transport and then the last thing that you consider is is the car yeah and uh, there has to be yeah. there has to be a recognition that people still use the car and mm-hmm. you still have to design for the car but yeah. m- mm-hmm. much less than we used to you know yeah. we've moved away from that predict and provide philosophy of providing road capacity at all costs and now mm-hmm. we're trying to p- provide for alternative modes of transport and and that's the fundamental mm. issue at the heart of every development that we build now it's yeah. how do we access this by you know other means yeah how do we, how yeah. Do we get there mm-hmm. all right yeah well chris listen this has been absolutely fascinating we could talk um, for hours here, we, we really could, could do yeah. and i think definitely i think we might have to have a follow-up at some point with you I'd as well be, if you'd be, be happy to come back that, yeah. we, some listeners me. might well actually <laughs> send in questions and things that we might put your way to answer and i think we might squeeze a wee a wee paper or something out of you for Absolutely. the website that would be good because be i think it's good it's satisfying from my point of view because i know how passionate john cullen was and the other engineers were mm. about the design of the, the, the Greater Glasgow Transportation Study and Plan and all the bits that came with it. They were very much of the opinion that it would fulfil what they were asked to design, which was to allow for future traffic growth and have a congestion-free city. And people could use it for leisure, for business, for whatever yeah. purpose they wanted and could get there quickly and at a, a, a reasonable pace. And you've confirmed through your research that that would have worked. Yeah, I can so confidently I, say that, yeah. that they would have achieved the goal of So of from, from my network. point of view, I'm actually quite heartened by that. I think yeah. John would have been really, really delighted. Now, really I know he never happy. doubted that it would work. Because, you know, See, he, he, would, he sure. would sit there and go, I told you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and other guys who worked on it as well would, would be the yeah. same. They would say, well, we knew it would work. We knew it would work. But it's just good to have that confirmed using yeah. modern methods. You know, I know. Whether, it's, whether, it was, whether it was good or bad, a good thing, a bad thing, yeah. right or wrong, doesn't matter. It, it would have worked. We've the original some, commission would have worked. Some really great discussions here. Now, I've taken a certain viewpoint for the interest of the podcast. Stuart, you've taken one. But we've got you here, Chris, and you've got a bit of expertise behind yeah. this and you've got data and things to back it up. Yeah. So it's actually really good to get something and it's actually a bit refreshing to have quite a different viewpoint yeah. on this as yeah. well because yeah. sometimes all you know we're doing is, we, we is tend to echo chambering these, yeah. these things we a wee bit, you know? Yeah. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's been great. No, so. so I appreciate that. So, all right, well, on that, uh, at that time then, we're going to move on. Have we got time for anything else? Yeah, <laughs> questions. <laughs> we've got we're, questions. Yeah, we've got time. time. All time. right, let's, let's, let's get into the questions. Right, first of all, I'm, right. John Tao on Facebook had submitted a couple of questions a month ago, which I forgot mm-hmm. to answer, so we're going we're right. to do those ones first. Okay. The first one is he asked the question about the A804, oh, sorry, A801 bridge over the Avon Gorge. Now, this is that oh, road yeah, that runs yeah. from Junction 4 to the M8 to Junction 4 to the M9. Mm-hmm. It's kind of jeweled in places. It's kind of wide S2 in places. Yeah. I think there's even there's some S4 in there. I might, there might be no, no, there isn't. But they've, no. it's one of these roads that they've built uh, in such a way at the northern and the southern end of the single carriageway sections that the, the overbridges and flyovers have a spare span. So you can stick another right. carriageway so it's, down. It's, it's future-proof but, for dueling. But the, right. the crucial section is the Avon Gorge in the mm-hmm. middle, which is a very narrow, windy, hairpin, hairpin yeah, bendy kind of road. Yep. And there's been proposals for years to to span that gorge with a bridge or a viaduct or something. And John was asking, when is that happening? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm delighted to see, John, um, that the city deal proposals for through there 
um, include that project. And one of the designers, I believe, might be WSP. You are, are, are actively are you, are working you, on it at the are moment. Are you joking? Because no, you've no. not told me this. Yeah, I only found this out for you. I did a bit of research. Uh, <laughs> and I think it's expected to be on the ground sometime between now and 2023. And, and open sometime after that. So the Avon Gorge will be will be spanned at last. Now, what I don't know is whether it'll be dual carriageway. Probably just single carriageway now. Single carriageway think. is fine. It takes the only awkward... For a safety improvement, it, it, it's worthwhile. The only thing is we might have to predict and provide for that. You know? oh. <laughs> there is a place for it in some, in some aspects. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. There's always going to be a place for safety improvements. You know, things yeah, that improve... Yeah. Like the A9 dueling, the mm. A96 that have been done for safety reasons. This is true, you, yeah. you know, There's always justification for that. The A82 between Tarbot and Inverarnon, which is one I've been looking at mm-hmm. a lot recently as well. That's about functionality and improvement of routes. There's always going to be space and scope for road improvements, yeah. perhaps just no additional capacity. That's you know, right. There are other things that can be done. Safety is you know. very important. Yeah, you don't want exactly. the bodies piling up. No, absolutely. Yeah. And, and as we've said many times... It's estimated that the Glasgow motorway system saved something like 800 fatalities and 10,000 serious injury accidents in its That's first fantastic. 50 years of operation. You know, so so there are clear mm. benefits to to getting traffic off of local roads and residential streets on, on the motorways and, and the high speed roads and bypasses yeah. and things like that. So I just want to say thanks to John for asking that question because I'm genuinely. Did you not know that? No, I didn't. I mean, I'm an M8 M9 user, and mm. I sometimes use that if I'm fleeing an incident. Right, well, so I been, change between the two roads, so that's handy. It's been taken forward um, yeah. by West Lothian Council and Falkirk Council. Yeah. So Google it, you'll find that it's on there. Right. He yeah. also asked another question, which I'm going right, to—it's going to put you guys on the spot a bit because I have no clue what it is. He was talking about reverse diamond interchanges, and apparently they're very big in America. I think what he means is diverging diamonds. Diverging diamond. Maybe yeah. maybe he did say that. It's me that got it mixed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was asking about: Do we have diverging diamonds here? And no. if not, why not? Right. Uh, I don't know why not. This is really a question for Bryn. Uh, to be honest with you, he knows quite a few things about this. I'll yeah. just say what I can say. Maybe Chris can weigh in so, with something so here. What is a diverging diamond? What it is, is it, it's, a, it's a traditional diamond interchange without roundabouts. Tell people what a diamond interchange is because people might not know. Okay, so a diamond interchange is if you look at, imagine you're looking top down on a road and you see a road going over the top like a cross. Then you have the slip roads going in either direction, adding on to the main line. So, you've so got it four looks slip roads, four slip roads diagonally. Diamond. It's a diamond. Oh, interchange. And then you've only got two right. of them. It's a half diamond. That's right. So if you look at well, where's, where's a good example of this that I can think of? To be honest with you, if you look at the diamond interchange on the A seven two five, diamond interchange on the A seven two five at the Hilton. Yeah, <laughs> you've got one there. That's the Bell's Hill bypass for local people. Bell's Hill bypass that yeah. you've got there. So no, there's many examples, and they're quite cheap to do. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is how do you add capacity to that when it gets really, really busy? So what they do is they turn them into dumbbells. Right. Dumbbells is what you've got at like Junction 2A Gart Kosh. Mm-hmm. You've got them on the A737. Rob Royston. You know, Rob I'm Royston amazing. Junction's yeah. a dumbbell. Um, you know, there's pl- plenty of examples. Oh, the new junction at um, Heartlands is a oh, dumbbell, right. dumbbell okay. exchange. Yeah. Uh-huh. So you put roundabouts. But what the diverging diamond does is it widens it even further, and what it does is it channelizes each side of it, so it takes the roundabouts away, so you've got these channels right. that they've built for traffic to sit and stack in, okay. and then it drives on the wrong side of the road right. going over the overbridge. Um, it is far too complicated to explain here how that works without showing a map or a model. Right, okay. But then again, I've got Chris here. Have you ever heard of a diverging diamond? I've, I've heard of them. I've never okay. seen one in operation, yeah. um, okay. and I couldn't I tell you why they're not. Wide, widely used here. Maybe yeah. it's they're Probably. too complicated. Maybe it's the space we talked spoke about. Space could earlier. be. Could or, just, or yeah. space. Yeah. Our old favourite, the design manual for roads and bridges, not allowing 
or having such Poss- a thing in it. Possibly. So, know. John, you know, my, my answer to you is go away and Google it. Um, we, we, can't, <laughs> we can't answer you. There's none in nah, Glasgow, we, so we don't care. We love you, John. <laughs> don't worry. Okay. Right, okay, John. Next question's for you. Yep. It comes from Jeremy Bailey on Facebook, and Jeremy yep. asks, why did the new Junction 29A take so long to build... Could it have been done quicker? Was three years from start to finish acceptable? Okay, so this is the new junction at Bishopton. This junction was provided by BAE Systems as part of the planning for the development of the old Royal Ordnance Factory site. Basically, they had to provide this junction Mm -hmm. at their cost once a certain number of houses were built. Yes. So they weren't under a huge amount of pressure to do this because they could they could put that at their own pace so there was a period where they started building this road and then nothing happened for 18 months and i think this is what jeremy's getting at Mm -hmm. the reason for this 18 month period of that joke was actually ground settlement yeah so that what they've done is they've done the earthworks first they laid the drainage and stuff like that and then they let the ground settle for 18 months and then come back yeah i know what jeremy's thinking they don't do that all the time most of the time they just continue on with a scheme well, you know what? BAE Systems, of course, had time on their hands to do that. Yeah. And if you do this, if you allow for settlement of a road like that, because there is a defect, a warranty period afterwards, you are reducing the risk that things might go wrong with that road and you then have to go back and fix it at your cost. So yeah. it's a very good way of, yeah. of seeing, actually, you know, everything's going to be okay rather than just plowing on with it and then suddenly you get depressions and deformations in the yeah. asphalt. And, and the guys the guys were very open about that when we went down for we the went site visit. We went for a visit. site visit, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dougal Bailey and Associates, um, mm-hmm. um, who designed it all on behalf of, of BAE, uh, were very open about timescales and things like that. We had a really enjoyable visit today and it seems mm-hmm. to be working very well. Seems to be working I use it. To Seems to have safe. removed congestion westbound from the Erskine slip. It has, and yep. it's it saved me about three or four minutes of my journey. Well, that's all so right. That's not bad. It's nice. And, and again, coming back to, to Chris, that, mm. that predictions from new housing developments yeah. and the effect on the local road network is one thing that the, you guys would say have yeah, done, and then uh, said you need to do something for motorway access here or, or whatever. Yeah, so what, you, what you're saying there, John, about mm. you know having to provide a certain... Mm. infrastructure once a certain amount of houses have been built that's something that we deal with yeah. on a day-to-day basis and we look yeah. at particularly with housing developments you know you have to calculate exactly when that road is going to go over capacity and then mm. that's at the point where the obligation is on the developer yeah. to mm-hmm. provide that road infrastructure mm-hmm. so so yeah so that that's something that we're doing on a, on a daily so basis kind yeah. of case study for you have you have you seen the new junction yet i know yeah i know about bishop then yes all yeah. oh, right yeah. okay Great, okay. All right, so it's That's all working. Right, okay, so next mm-hmm. we have... Do you want me to read these? Yeah, you read this next right. one. You <clears> usually <throat> ask, ask me them. This is, this, is a, this is a cracker, this one, right? Okay, so Ryan Corey on Facebook asks, Since Richard III was found under a car park, have there been any significant fines when building a part of the Glasgow motorway network? The most significant one that I'm aware of was the site of the Netherton Cross on the M74, mm. just north of Junction 6. Now, this is a historic cross uh, that dates back to something like the 10th century. It's an early Christian relic. Um, This was a cross that was discovered on the site of the motorway in 1929. Mm -hmm. Now, the cross was moved to a church in Hamilton. It's still there. I believe it's Hamilton Parish Church. But the actual site of the cross, where the cross was found itself, Mm. was under the line of the motorway. And they did some extensive archaeological investigations around the time that the original motorway was built and they found one or two relics relating to that. So much so, they actually marked the position of where the cross was found with a a headstone-type marker post um, that has a... 
this is the site of the Netherland Cross found, blah, blah, blah. Uh, mm. And that's still there to this day. Now, it's it's particularly overgrown by trees and we really should go on to the, the, the operator for that part of the M74 and say, get in there, please, and chop that back. Because yeah. it'd be quite nice to I'll, see that I'll stone. I'll let you do that, yeah. Yeah, it'd be good to see that, <laughs> uh, that, that stone you know, opened up again because you can see it from the road as you pass. Yeah. Now, they followed up with that. When they widened the M74 there a few mm-hmm. years ago, they followed it up and they actually found the remains of an old village, an ancient village in there uh, which the, I the remember this. there was some debate about whether it was the old uh, uh, town of Cadzo there's, there's always this debate in Hamilton about where the original Cadzo was and where Hamilton actually started but the, there was some old buildings there in that site probably relating to the fact that cross was there and it was so important to mm-hmm. this particular part of uh, religion or whatever down the years that's the most significant one that I'm aware of when the M8 was built through Charing Cross and things like that yeah, yep. these things they were considered obviously um I don't think there was anything of any real There's significance. There's this myth, though, about the bodies under the Kingston Bridge, but they, they say that bodies were placed there. Yeah, when it was some. Well, no, hang on. There's, <laughs> two, there's two sides to this, right? So there was. Right, so it's, there was it's a myth. It's a myth that when, when right. the Kingston Bridge was being built, that a number of gangland figures had murdered people and chucked them into foundation, pours and concrete and stuff like that. Whether yeah. that's true or not, probably not. Mm-hmm. Based on the discussions I've had with people who actually worked in the project. But yeah. there's another side to it. I understand. Literally, where the motorway just starts to rise for the river, yeah. there was a church there and a, an old graveyard, mm-hmm. a cemetery, quite an old graveyard, and there were several um, bodies exhumed and moved to another cemetery. Can imagine in having the to move a cemetery. Yeah, yes. That's interesting. I've heard the rumour about the bodies in the Kingston Bridge, Aye. but I've not, that's the yeah, first time they, I've heard they, that. They moved the cemetery. Yeah. Now, the bodies that were the bodies that were moved, and I know that this makes anybody better, the, mm-hmm. the bodies that were moved had been buried for quite a considerable period of time. You know, it was an ancient cemetery or, or graveyard that wasn't as if they had only been buried like 10 years or anything like that. They had mm. been in there for quite a period. Yeah. Um, and they were moved. Controversial. Some people, um, some people talk about uh, the history of Anderson. Often, yeah. often raise that way us, and, and it's been discussed. Is it something you would get away with now? Well, I don't Moving know. A cemetery. I, th- I think sometimes if you, if you absolutely happens. have to, it's yeah. not something you really want to have to do. No, though. but but it can be so, done, and, and that's yeah. another one. In terms of other ancient relics and things like that, no. I mean, when the M seventy four completion was getting done, they spent a fortune in archaeological research, and I think the most exciting found the th- uh, thing they found was some body ceramic cup from eighteen ninety. You know, there hasn't really been anything in there. I mean, there's a lot of Roman forts and things, which uh, yeah. certainly in Lanarkshire area and places like that. But in Glasgow, mm. no. There's a few so ancient much. relics that are sadly road signs. Yeah, you know, they're probably the only ancient relics <laughs> on the network. Up until a couple of years ago, some of the high mass lights could have been considered could have been ancient considered, relics. Yeah, well. exactly. Yeah. Right. Next question. Final question. Uh, this is from Stuart McRae on Facebook. Uh, Stuart asks: Has the volume in traffic on the roads increased? in real terms compared to what was thought when the roads plan was being worked out. Doubt they were even close. What an apt question. Well, exactly. Well, we said earlier that mm. the 1990 predictions were more or less mm. spot More or less spot on, yeah. 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 Now, we're 30 years on from 1990 now, mm-hmm. and traffic since 1990 has grown again by, is it, is it 50%? Yeah. Something like that? I'm not sure how much since 1990, but I've got a figure here from the 60s right. that... We're looking at about sixty-four percent increase since the sixties. So that's more than we yeah. thought. So no. we're thirty years on from what they were they were designing for, or twenty years, depending on whether it was the certain aspects of the GGTS. Um, there was, as you've as you've proved through your research, even though the figures were way higher than they were designing for, there was still some inbuilt capacity in there that would have catered for even more traffic right. growth. Yeah. So Stuart, yeah, they, they, okay, they maybe didn't 
uh, think that the, the levels would be so high, hmm. but actually they're so addition. There would be so much additional capacity and built there that we would still have been running congestion free even if they if they weren't close to that. And that's so, been proven. Yeah, and that's been proven now. So hopefully that answers that for you. Yeah, great. Any other okay. questions that you have that have come up? That's nothing. That's nothing. That's that's everything for me. Chris, do you have any burning motorway questions? Yeah. Has anything been bugging you? I would love to know in meters how long how wide this uh, twenty four. <laughs> lane motorway is in Texas. I'm just thinking of a way I can Google it on my phone. What, what is it? their standard lane width? Is it 3.65? I actually don't I actually don't know. But I'll tell you what. Well, I mean, you could do a quick one on Google right now. But I, I could go and I could go and check tomorrow you, and, you and find tell out. you what you check tomorrow. I could check tomorrow quite accurately you and come see on how. One from are you meaning? Are you wanting the the total width from end to I, end? I, from, I want. From, I want the width from end to end. So the yeah. actual yeah. land take, In, including take. including central reserve and the yeah. frontage road. Because yeah. I include yeah. the frontage road with it as well. Because it's an intrinsic part of it. What the size of a small village? Yeah. This is the thing I've always said. This you can build your way out of congestion, but there would not be much room for anything else. <laughs> you know, you, you you would just roads us everywhere. But that's just it. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, do you have any other questions? That that'll that be I me could for actually now. That's me for it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, right. Well, it brings us on to some of our upcoming things. Yeah. The first thing that I want to do is thank two guys that I've met in the last wee while. Um, who've given oh. us some additional material. Uh, first of all, Alan Mowat, OBE, mm-hmm. uh, former president of the Chartered Institution of Highways and Transportation, got in touch um, to say that he had been involved in early design work on the Citrac system, which is now Traffic Scotland, as, as we know it. So the, the, uh, the, the Citrac system, Centrally Integrated Traffic Control System, yeah, right. uh, that controlled not only the gantry signs and the variable message signs yeah. and the CCTV, and the SOS phones, but also traffic signals in Glasgow. Yeah. At one point in the 1980s, again, here we go, huge oh, step back, this, huge this step is, back. This, I, know, huge, I know what you're going to say, and this is regressive. In 1985, a guy sitting at a desk in Glasgow could control the traffic signals in Lanark. Mm-hmm. Today, we're lucky if the guy sitting in the control room in Glasgow can control the traffic signals in Glasgow. Well, it's not that bad. Should you just send someone out in a van to the cabinet and you yeah. try and find the cabinet, footer around with it, and hopefully we get the lights We had the world's <laughs> best and most advanced traffic control system. Yeah. And we let it decay and break up, and we took away the authorities who were actively behind these proposals and mm. who supported them and developed them and let it go to rot. And we are much worse off for it now. Okay, now the traffic Scotland system's pretty good. The mm-hmm. motorway system, the truck system. You're well talking about the front. gantries yeah. and all those things, but you're, you're talking about signals. All the other functionality has yeah. been taken out of it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I don't think that that's that's not a step forward. No, it's a step back in my. I, I, was actually, reading, I, I was reading one of the documents that that uh, that, that Mr. Mowat had given me, mm-hmm. and uh, it's talking about the green wave system where emergency vehicles were re- with the blue lights on approaching junctions, the traffic signals change to green on approach so that they go all the way through. It's funny you've you know, told me that, but I've heard that as an urban legend, a myth. Nope. That nope. if you flash blue lights nope. at a traffic light, they'll change for you. Strathclyde yeah. Regional Council implemented <laughs> that in Glasgow City Centre. It's Brilliant. in the documentation. So, yep. Alan, thank you for that stuff. Very impressive I've stuff. I've had a look Some myself. Really Very good. good. Stuff in there. Yeah. Secondly, Graham Lawson. Oh. Um, who was involved with some very interesting stuff in his career, and, and I and I met up with uh, uh, with Graham the other day. Funny enough, Graham met us at the same talk that that you did, Chris. Um, we we met a few good, good contacts we that did. night. Yeah, um, yeah. Graham started his career working on the Edinburgh Inner Ring Road. Mm-hmm. Now that never happened for a whole variety <laughs> of reasons. 
Um, he's That's got some a whole other podcast. Yeah, <laughs> he's got some fascinating insights into why that didn't happen. He's going to he's going to prepare us some notes. He gave me some material yeah. on the TPP system that we've talked about before. The, the sort of a transport mm. proposals and plans through the 1970s and 80s and the early 90s that Strathclyde did, which was to justify their proposals for road improvements against other public transport. That's another one that came like. from America. Yeah, again that was Andy Davis who we've spoken about before. Um, he was uh, he was deeply involved in that so Graham gave mm. me some material on that and other Strathclyde things and Graham then became head of roads at North Lanarkshire Council at its inception okay. in 1996 so he's an interesting insight between working for the region and then working for the unitary authorities when they come in mm. and that's something I'm hoping we can mind because as we, we we cover everything post-war you know so yeah. that period and that was a huge period of change in roads maintenance and, and, and highway uh, management in, in Scotland at that time something I think we can definitely mine as we yeah. as we go through time um, thinking of other events and things the digitisation process is, is ongoing John and I spent a full day last weekend uh, going through photographs and confirming what we have what we don't have so that's moving forward mm. I've been scanning a number of those this week the 6,000 slides are fa- somewhere between five and 6,000 slides that we often talk about we're hoping that the digitisation of those will be starting soon. Obviously, the proceeds from the calendar sales are going towards mm. that, as are other donations. So we will keep you uh, uh, updated on that progress as well. We have a number of talks coming up. Uh, only one of them at the moment is open to the public, and that is happening on Wednesday, the 29th of January at 6.30pm, and that's at the Glasgow Heritage um, Trust uh, on uh, Bell Street, I think. Um, mm. I think the venue is for that. So if you, well, if you go onto our Facebook or Twitter, you'll see the link that they have put up to allow you to buy a ticket. Now, that is paid tickets for that. I think they're about £6, but the money goes to a good cause. Yeah. Uh, it goes towards heritage projects and things like that. So you might mm. want to consider... If you if you missed our Mitchell Library, those open days talks, um, you might it's want to consider It's lovely to meet, to meet all of you. You know, Come yeah. along, ask us questions about things. We bring the plans with us as well, so you can you can see this stuff. Yeah, the rest of the, the sort of things we've got are, are sort of invited talks by groups and things like yeah. that. And thanks to the Greif Valley Rotary Club, who John and I spoke to back in oh, December. They were, they were terrific. Uh, they were yeah. very, very nice, and we really appreciated going along and talking to the guys there so much. Mm. So we have a visit coming up to Tay House which is over the M8 motorway and the old bridge to nowhere, as it was known, the podium at Charing Cross. We're finally going to get a photo within there. Yep. So John yeah. and I have been kindly invited along to there, so we're going to be doing that. So we'll get some photographs and things, and we'll have a wee, a wee post on social media about what we find and how we enjoy it. Yeah. And the work with Historic Environment Scotland continues our volunteering work. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going through literally tens of thousands of negatives and photographs and slides through there of all roads projects in Scotland uh-huh. since 1935. Yeah. Any trunk road scheme, it's, it's in there. We found some really fascinating stuff, so we're helping them catalog that with the aim that it will be digitised eventually and then made yeah. available to the public through there. Well, uh, that, that's just it. Anyone yeah. who's a big fan of the A9, M9, yeah. anything, and up north particularly, mm-hmm. loads of good stuff in there. And we're still working with Glasgow City Archives as well, and Irene O'Brien, who's the archivist there at the Mitchell Library, we're working closely with them to help them mm-hmm. identify stuff and, and see what stuff they have in their archives. So it's all it's all good. So much to do, so little time. Yeah, exactly. So we are we're pushing forward with our, with our plans. We're trying to get out there, spread the word about what we're doing um you know make ourselves known to people uh mm-hmm. you know please tell people about us if you know, you know if you're discussing roads and things with people i hear it happening all the time i was at a talk the other day and someone said i was telling so and so that you do all this roads history stuff and they had no clue and this was a person i'd known for a long time and they mm-hmm. just sim- simply didn't know that we that we were involved know. in such a thing so you know spread the word about it mm-hmm. um I'm trying to think if there's anything else coming up in the year that we'll be doing. I mean, we'll be going back to the, the GVVT. 
We are. We're gonna um, we're gonna go to the uh, Saber AGM. Yep, that'll be done in Wolverhampton. We're members yep. of Saber, which is the Society for All British Road Enthusiasts. British and Irish Road Enthusiasts. They they do get together mm-hmm. for for so it's a good good chance to meet some you know like minded people and kind of show face with these things and talk about roads. Yeah, no, that, that's it definitely. Yep. Um, and it's it's always good to go to these events as you, as you say because we do meet lots of new people. Like yeah, Chris. You're a perfect example of we're yeah. coming into contact with people who know mm. who have a specialism. I mean, we, John and I are civil engineers. You know, we, mm. we tend we tend to build things and, and maintain things, but it's good to actually meet people we who try. have yeah who get involved in the actual nitty gritty. Yeah, it's definitely science of it, You know, I, yeah, I enjoyed the you, event that I came along to in Glasgow. Um, yeah. it, was, it was it was good. It was very informative, and it was it was it's led me to be here. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and thanks very much again for coming along. We really, really, really appreciate it. Um, we will, of course, continue with the podcast through through the year. Um, John, over to you to to see us out on this one. I think. Yeah. So thanks for joining us this month on the Glasgow Motorway Archive podcast. Make sure you visit our website, glasgowmotorways.org.uk, where you can listen to our previous episodes and learn all about the Glasgow Motorway system. You know by now, but you can also subscribe to us to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean uh, to make sure you never miss any of these shows. While you're at it, be sure to leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts in particular. And as I said just a bit ago there, tell your friends and colleagues about us. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today here, uh, be sure to find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you'll find daily posts and photographs and various other interesting (laughs) things from us as well. Yeah, that's right. You'll see regular updates on those channels. So in the meantime, that's all for now. But we'll be back in February with some more exciting topics, including some from outside Glasgow. Outside Glasgow. So what sort of things do you you mean by outside Glasgow? I think people will be fascinated. Is this more of these 823M type Yeah, here be dragons. You know, the places off the map. (laughs) Okay, so we're talking things like the M9. Yeah, Edinburgh City Bypass. We found a lot of new exciting stuff lately. So, Do we really need to talk about these other areas? I'm afraid so. A lot of our listeners are from that part as well. You know, and they're, they're... all roads are important, you know. Okay, I suppose the other thing we should add that people sure. have a, a specific road that they want to know more about. Yes, there's, there's one guy in particular who keeps drumming on about the M876. You know, it's it's a fairly <laughs> odd description I've, section I've, of road. I, I've not I've not heard of this. I, I've got it. Keep looking at Facebook, you'll see it. Yeah, M876, right? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that might be one that we have to look into as well. Chris, any favourite motorways outside Glasgow? Outside Glasgow, uh, yeah, I like the uh, the M80. Right, That's not outside Glasgow, is it? Well, so oh. kind, of, kind of is. Kind of is. We'll give you that one, right? We'll give you that one. I think, Chris, you are on the wind-up here, because that's the one I really hate, because that's the one I get stuck on. That's the one that they built it two lanes. I should have built it three. That's you the know, one that you... I take to avoid the M8. <laughs> to go me, home. Me too. Oh, going home, right. See, I'm, I'm going to work on oh, it. But there anyway, you go. thanks again, Chris, for coming yeah, along. I appreciate it. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Yep. Bye for now. Bye-bye.